it is time to do that thing you like. We're gonna be inside your ears for the next 20 minutes or so. Who knows how long we're gonna go, but it's the Nesson After Hours Podcast. I'm Emerson Lazia. Sealy Godwin is here. What's on tap today, dude? I'm really shocked that you didn't start the show with what up, what up, what up, what up? <laughs> you know what? I learned in college that it's good sometimes to break habits, even if they're good habits. You know, like I always start shaving on the left side of my face. So sometimes just to prove to myself I can do something different, I'll start on the right side of my face. So today, broke a habit, a good one. I'll return to it next week. That's going to go to the top of your resume. I can, I'm a switch shaver. <laughs> yeah, like a switch hitter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so you guys know the drill, two, two guests, two topics, but one of our guests, she's going to have to uh, come back another week because she's getting vaccinated today. Okay, we'll Gardner. allow it. She uh, sent me a text this morning apologizing. She's like, I'm so sorry. I got uh, an appointment for the vaccine. I'm like, girl, go get your shot. Do not mm -hmm. worry about us. We'll get with you another time. So yeah. we'll have Lauren Gardner of MLB Network and NHL Network come to us later on down the road. Um, I, I'm going to feel so much. I'm going to feel so much safer with her joining us, knowing that she's vaccinated too. So that'll be very nice. Hey, man, I'm looking forward to getting my shot. Um, but we have one fabulous guest joining us. So we're going to go ahead and welcome her in, Melanie Newman. She does play-by-play -play and hosts shows for the Baltimore Orioles. She's a trailblazer. She's one of seven women to call play-by-play -play for professional affiliated baseball and one of four active women to do so. Melanie, when you hear the word history next to your name, does it, are you able to wrap your mind around that? Uh, no, it's, it's really, really weird actually. And that's something that started getting attached to my name all the way back in 2014. And, uh, it's just always been me doing my job. I, you know, I, I really didn't think twice about it. I didn't grow up that way. You know, we, we don't, we don't go oh, look no. at me. Like I'm going to college. This is, this is special. Or like, I'm doing this and this is amazing. It's just, we do what we're called to do in this life. And we don't really think twice about who we are, you know, in this composition of gender, color, or anything like that. But the more attention that's been drawn to it, especially over the last two years, um, it, it did sink in a little bit that there's more significance there than just what's going in this black and white print um, of being the first or being the last or whatever it is. It, it's the fact that it gives you a serious, tangible ability to make change and to be a representation. And it's not just for girls that enjoy baseball. I mean, that that's for anybody of any gender who really finds a passion in something that's not previously been considered a gender norm for them, whether that's a hobby or a job. Um, and, and just seeing the outreach that's come from that has been really cool. Melanie, what was it like being back inside uh, JetBlue Park last night? Oh, man. So it's funny because this is technically my second year in the big leagues, but that was my first major league road trip, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, I had one game in spring training last year before everything got shut down, but that was at Ed Smith Stadium in Sarasota. Um, so I never got to go on the road in spring, and obviously we never got to go on the road last year. We called everything remote from Camden. So that was not only the first time I really got to be out and, and feel a little differently than the way that we're kind of tucked up in a way with the Orioles staff, but I, I got to see the game day employees and I haven't seen them in two years. And I think that's what was special is because ushers greet 
thousands of people and for them to actually remember me um, and pick up conversations that we had in 2019. And, you know, I got a little grief, like, oh, you're in the wrong <laughs> colors. Like, what are you doing? And, um, but just the excitement and, you know, so much of the IT and the media staff as well that I had worked with in the past. Um, it, it was just this really, really cool, welcoming feeling to have a mix of the team that really raised me and was responsible for my jump to the bigs and then to get to call on the other end of things. Uh, with the game, though, a 2 nothing win for the Red Sox. Uh, the Orioles, just from the projections around the league that I'm seeing, not looking too good in the AL East, but it is a tough Ooh. division. How, how do you feel like the AL East is going to shape up this year? Yeah, I, I mean, you look at what Toronto has done, and obviously the Rays are trying to get back to the World Series. I'm not as high on the Yankees as I think a lot of other people are. They just, it hasn't been there for me over the last couple of years. I know that it's there on paper, um, but how many times have we seen a team that's there on paper and they just never really come into anything? And I, I really think that's the Yankees. I'm still curious to see how healthy they can even stay. Oh, yeah. They're going to break down. Like midway through the season, it's going to happen. Like Giancarlo Stan's going to play like five games, he's going to like break half his body, and he's going to be out the rest of the year. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you've got Aaron Judge as well. They're trying to bring Kluber back to a form that he hasn't seen in four years. Um, I, I just, I don't see it there, but I do think the big contention for us is actually going to be the Orioles and the Red Sox, as far as, you know, who's going to be the most evenly matched. I think everybody's excited to see Cora back for you guys, but it's like he said, this presser, he still doesn't know some of the guys, like he needs nameplates on the face masks, which I think is a genius idea because I still don't know our guys and you see them walk around, you only have their eyes. Um, but you know, it's as much as I think Boston still has to figure out their arms. The Orioles are still trying to figure out what they have in this mix of youth. And at the same end, the totally opposite, uh, with veteran guys, some of them like Matt Harvey, who just agreed to be on the 40 man today, he's officially picked up his contract. Uh, we're going to be this hodgepodge of curiosity and, uh, sometimes that mystery is going to pay out for the Orioles and other times people are going to have their number read, but I think it's going to be the O's and the Sox who are going to be the closest, uh, in the AL East this year. Do you remember the, you just mentioned Matt Harvey and it reminded me of the one time, I think it was, was it Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon? He was like walking around central park and no one knew who he was. So they were, they were asking, he was asking fans that they were walking up to like wearing Mets gear. Like, yeah. hey, what do you think of like Matt Harvey? And they didn't realize it was Matt Harvey interviewing. It. It's just like a <laughs> those are like a my plain... favorite bits. They're amazing, right? Yes, hundred percent. I would love to see more of those more often. <laughs> yeah, but now people would be like, "Wait, are you the guy who played Matt Harvey when you were asking people Matt, Matt, about Matt Harvey on that late night show years ago?" <laughs> like, I recognize you. Oh my goodness. Um, we talk about the Orioles and the Red Sox being, you know better than what people might expect them to be uh what in what ways do you think the Orioles could surprise people um I mean look they did it last year when everybody was just saying yeah this is this is a tank team there's really nothing there and then all of a sudden they were stringing together these you know plus dozen wins they took care of the Yankees they took care of Boston they took care of Miami um and they really just came into their own and I think that's what's so fun is it's a group of younger guys 
And they embrace having that chip of, of being told that they're not supposed to be good instead of just wearing it. Um, you still see it in eight, nine innings in spring training when everybody argues the games don't matter. They're still putting together these good at bats, still able to drive in some late runs. And if it pulls out a win, that's great. But you, it's good to see the spark there because I think so many times, especially now that there's that modern focus on um, eliminating teams that purposefully tank. That's not really going to be something with the O's. And there's a reason that guys like Michael Franco and Freddie Galvis and Matt Harvey have decided to come to Baltimore this year. And it's because not only are they interested in being able to be heavy contributors every day, where in other places they may have been pushed around a little bit, but um, I think they know that the youth here are just so eager to take in more and to really figure stuff out and, and learn what it's like to be around a veteran and the in and out and the grind of a full 162 because we have so many rookies that don't know what it's like to play a full season in the bigs with fans. And that's so crazy to think that they already have major league experience, but they've had none of that part of it. And it's such a huge part. Um, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, like that, you know, if you're in the outfield at Fenway on opening day, or, you know, you're in the outfield at Yankee stadium, that's a different beast now that it's not going to be piped in crowd noise. Um, so I, I think they're going to really surprise some people this year. And, and the way I've said it too, is even the losses are probably going to be interesting in one way or another, just watching either Trey Mancini, who's shifted back over to first base and he's getting into the swing of things or seeing a guy like Felix Hernandez, when he's finally healthy, um, reestablishing his career after such a long period in Seattle. How's Trey feeling by the way? Oh, he feels great. Um, it's crazy because you would think he never missed last season, the way everybody's yeah. talked about him. Don Long, our hitting coach, kind of laughed, and he said he hasn't changed anything since the start of spring because he just showed up, and he was so ready to go, and he was yeah. making such good contact. You could see he was trying to figure out his timing at the plate for a little bit, um, just seeing live pitching again. I think that happens for everyone, regardless if you've missed last season. But um, he just – he feels – really, really good. And that my favorite story still from his timeout last year while he was working through colorectal cancer is the fact that he was still watching all of the games at home and not just Orioles games, but like if there was a pitcher in another game that he has classically struggled against, he had the TV on and he would be standing in front of the TV, like a five-year-old <laughs> taking dry hacks. And I just think that's like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. That like there's this kid locked in just watching games at home. Yeah, while he's like fighting for his life at the, at the yeah. same time, I mean, you get kids just married to the game. It feels exactly. like exactly um, that's ball that's ball players, man. Yeah. you'll see them all the time. I mean, Trey's story is absolutely incredible, but it's it's so funny. You'll just see baseball players when they're not even around the field. I've seen videos of this where they're just sitting there taking hacks by themselves. They're constantly working on their swing, like constantly. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Melanie, I know you're you're constantly grinding and working as well. What's the preparation process for someone in the play-by-play -play chair like right now in spring training? How much preparation is there for like the regular season or is this really, I know it's cliche, but like just kind of one day at a time? So with spring training in particular, I do take it one day at a time just because we don't know the mix that we're going to see that day from both teams. Um, you don't want to prep a full roster of 20 pitchers that a team could be dragging to the park and you, you only see four of them. Um, so we're really lucky. We have really good communication to where we get that advanced notice of, Hey, these are the four or five guys you're going to be seeing. 
Um, you also get an idea of the lineup as well. So I generally just do smaller focus for spring games. Um, I will try to listen to a couple of specific team podcasts on the visitor just to get a better feel of, you know, hey, where are they at? Because yeah, you can pay attention and you know where they finished in the postseason last year, but it's different than being really embedded and knowing the ups and downs of that program at the moment. So just trying to flesh it out a little bit, get some human perspective on it as well. Um, my regular season stuff probably starts January or February just to get ahead of spring training, yeah. um, really building out storylines, making sure that I bookmark different articles with the athletic that stood out to me. Um, so last night with Salamora pitching, that was one from the athletic and his influence with Koji and how that all came about stuff like that. Um, one of my favorite things that I'd picked up from a couple other reporters though, is also going through the team Instagram accounts and social media mm. and bookmarking posts and then saving them under their own little tab to revisit when we actually play that team. Um, I've done that with everything now. So if there's an interesting tweet, I screenshot it and I save it to a different folder just to be able to go back and pull up these little nuggets later, because you can call, call the strikes. And, and that's great. But I really think if you don't bring a little more to the table, especially that creates an emotional bond for fans to listen to, um, right. you're not really making it an engaging piece for them to want to come back time and time again and, and learn a little something different. Um, now that'll shift once we start mixing in sideline reporting and play-by-play -play, just depending on the series, but, uh, the play-by-play -play prep is definitely a little more intensive. I would say so. Um, how many hours of prep work do you think you dedicate to just one game? Oh boy. Um, on a spring game. So that's going with a shortened staff. It's probably four hours. Like I'll, I'll try to do two the night before, um, with a night game, like today playing at six 30, I'll usually just save all of that for the day of, but especially with a day game, you want to start the day before and just not be overwhelmed um, yeah. the next morning when you start things out. And then again, too, that's why I start the regular season prep earlier before spring training. Um, because otherwise I would never catch up once the season starts. Cause you guys know, there's really not a ton yeah. of days off and the biggest work comes before the first game of the series. And then especially if it's the second, third time you're seeing a team for the year, obviously yeah, things yeah. are a little smoothed out after that. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you know you wanted to cover like baseball and really hone in on this sport? Oh gosh, I, I've loved this game since I was a kid. And it's funny because we just, we grew up around sports in our family. I always joke, my sister was the athlete and I was not at all, but I, I loved <laughs> being around sports and, and wanting to understand and wanting to know more. And so uh, we grew up outside of Atlanta. We were in the heart of SEC football. So we were every Saturday at a college game and um, the Olympics came in 96 and we were at every event that year. And I, I wish I remembered more of it. Um, but for whatever reason, baseball always stood out the most to me. We were a couple minutes from the East Cobb complex where all the perfect game tournaments are held. So we had a year round access to the sport, um, which I think I took for granted how much of our culture baseball really was growing up. It's what all my friends did. And um, I, I just, I was always the tag along. I was super quiet. I started getting into photography and writing. And so covering it between yearbook and newspaper and stuff like that. And, um, it wasn't until I got to college and kind of got out of my shell a little bit, you know, you get away from everybody you've grown up with, who puts you in that shoebox of this is who you are. And you, you really get to re-examine that. And I had some professors who were very encouraging that they wanted me to switch to broadcasting. Um, they know more than I do. So 
I said, okay, like, if that's what you think, sure. I think this is a terrible idea, <laughs> but you know, I, I slowly found my voice and, um, Troy was really good about having me involved with their club and working different sports. And, um, I got thrown into the booth in 2014 in mobile with the Bay bears. And that really was just the beginning and the end of all of it. Uh, you say your sister was the athlete, but that doesn't mean that you weren't competitive. Uh, you were a Miss Troy, a Miss USA Petite as well. Uh, how did you get involved in pageants? <laughs> I, uh, so that one was actually pretty funny. My, everybody thinks living in the South that I, I had done that since I was like five, but my mom's <laughs> from Haverhill and they didn't do pageants. Like she was a farm girl. That was not a thing. Um, I actually saw Miss Congeniality my freshman year of high school. Oh my gosh, like it's Sandra Bullock. How do you not? Yes. Um, but, and I thought, you know, that'd be cool. I knew nothing about pageants at all. And so my parents tried to call my bluff. And at that point, um, I was working with a competitive cheer gym and they said, well, if you want to try this, then you're going to have to give up cheerleading. You can't do both. So I dropped it immediately because I wanted to try this other thing. And um, the photos from the first time I competed at Miss Georgia can be burned forever. They're a trip. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I had like raccoon makeup. My hair was a disaster. Um, but really pageants are probably the reason why I can be in broadcasting right now, because for someone who was as mortally shy as I was growing up, like I, I don't think I ever had more than three friends at a time just because I couldn't balance that. I didn't want to do it. My mom even told me the other day, I never knew this. Um, she was my principal. So all of my childhood teachers are like family friends. Um, mm. But my first day of kindergarten, she told my teacher that her only goal for me for that year was to get me to socialize with more than one kid at a time. Um, that was like how introverted I was. So you get thrown out on a stage in a bikini and six inch heels in front of like 2000 people and cameras. And you, you kind of get busted out of your shell pretty quickly. Like you can't afford to sit back anymore. Um, so it taught me a lot. It definitely gave me the, the chance to understand taking care of myself and lifting weights and physical fitness. I learned how to do hair and makeup um, in, in your speech skills as well. I had yeah. an interview coach that I worked with every single week on the pageant end, but I knew in the back of my head, it was a double investment given that I was in a journalism background in college as well. Um, so I, I definitely strengthened the, the competition that I was going up against in the way that I approached pageants, but the, they're a lot bigger of a hand in hand situation with this job than I think a lot of people would understand. I, I think people, they're the misconceptions when it comes to pageants, you, it's just based off of what you see on, on TV and in movies. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I did too back in the day, uh, when I was 13 and 14 and it oh. was just a blast. Yeah. Like I actually, like, I, I remember feeling shocked, like at how mm -hmm. much fun it actually was. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it what, what misconceptions did you maybe have going into it that later on you're like, actually, that wasn't true when it came to pageants? I, I just, I think I just thought you just showed up and you, you got dressed and you walked on a stage and that was it, but it's, it's hours of yeah. opening dance number rehearsals. And, you know, you're going through all these different steps with coaches and all of the interviews are super, super intensive. And it's funny because the last time I competed in Miss Georgia, I was so excited because this one judge had involvement with the Cubs and was a huge baseball guy. And I was like, yes, like <laughs> that's the interview I'm going to crush. 
And the morning of our interviews, he had like a stomach bug. So he oh, was no. the one judge I didn't get to talk to. <laughs> and I was like, well, there, there goes everything right there. Um, but no, like, and, and I think too, it was funny looking back because I remember competing in the teen division. And at that point we were hearing all of these things across the hall that the miss was just, they were so catty and it was just really cutthroat. And then I graduated into the miss group and all of a sudden it was the teens. Like we all got along and now we're hearing about the teens that are fighting with each other and saying ugly stuff on social media. So I, I don't, I can't really speak to the ugliness because I never experienced it. Um, but I, I really feel like it's a parallel to the way that people perceive women in the broadcasting industry. Like we're all out to get each other and one up mm -hmm. each other and yeah. everybody wants their jobs. And it's just, that's not how it is at all. Like we're all here to, to be next to each other and root each other on. And I think the longer you're around it, you also understand too, both in pageants and in, in broadcasting that um, everyone has a job that's cut out for them. And just because you don't get the particular job you wanted, mm -hmm. it's not a slight against you. And it doesn't mean you should hold that out on the other person. It just means that that was their moment. That was the best fit and that there's a better fit for you somewhere else. There's a reason you didn't end up where you thought you wanted to be. Mm. So did, so Great. did honey, so did honey Boo, Boo help or hurt the image of the pageant side of things? So I have to say, oh my gosh, my, my grandmother, God rest. We always watched um, toddlers and tiaras, honey, yes. Boo -boo. and her comments. I mean, she was, you know, you get to that age and they just, they lose the filter for whatever reason. Yep. And so she's like, would you look at this little tuna just walking out on stage? Like, what is this? Because my grandmother was a big influence in me competing in pageants. She put her daughter through pageants. Um, she actually competed in Miss Iowa way back in the day. Um, and it yes, was honey. Last, the last time she competed, um, it was the first time Miss Iowa won Miss USA. And then she ended up being the first Miss USA to win Miss Universe. So my grandmother had a very shrewd opinion of all of those shows. And it doesn't help either that Honey Boo Boo's from Georgia because the number of times, like, have you met her? Do you know her? Yeah. Like, no, it's a totally different Wait, part of the state. Her? I have no idea. No, um, honestly, the biggest thing that went viral with pageants was, I wanna say it was Miss South Carolina Teen USA. It may have been 2014 mm -hmm. okay. or 2004 um, when she was trying to answer the question about finding Iraq on maps. Oh, I remember um, that. I got that question all the time after that. And I was like, really? No, like I actually, I have a degree. Like I stayed on the top of my class. Like I was full blown nerd. I know how to speak. Well, I, uh, at, at least you didn't say like uh, to a question about, you know, what's, what's your picture perfect date. You didn't say April 25th because it's not, it's too, not hot too hot and it's not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. <laughs> exactly. Hey. I also have one more follow-up for you. How much were you able to get away with as a kid with your mom as the principal? Oh, no kidding. My like, mom come was, on. okay, so we, had, we have different tiers. I don't know how it is for other schools, but you had the principal and then you had the assistant principal in charge of discipline and the other assistant principal in charge of like day-to-day -day operations. Hi. My mom was the disciplinarian. My dad was in the military. So like oh, I was the kid yeah. growing up I did nothing. I spoke to no one unless I was spoken to. Like, apparently my temper tantrums as a kid, I only had one in my life. But what I did was I threw myself on the floor and I laid there in silence. And they were like, all right. This is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's the ideal temper tantrum, but no, like I, 
you didn't step out of line at all. And it goes to the fact that my mom was friends with all my teachers. I remember trying to jump. Um, I, I was supposed to go someplace after school that my mom had told my teacher about, and I wanted to go home with my friend on her bus. And I jumped on the bus and my, I thought my third grade teacher was going to wring my neck. I mean, she grabbed me off the bus and you know where you're supposed to be today. And I'm taking you to your mom right now. And I was like, this is the end of my life. Like this yeah, is over. here. <laughs> um, and I still hear it all the time. People try, you know, they'll try to, to pull up something funny on my social media and they're like, you have the cleanest social accounts ever. I'm like, yeah, because I still have that fear at 29 of my parents and bringing like the holy fire down on me if I step out of line. It's like, it's not happening. <laughs> I, I think I had a temper tantrum like once a, d- a day. Um, so yeah, she still parents- does. She still does. I want that on record. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting better. I've, I've, I think I've taken it back to like one a week. So I'm doing better, give me some credit here. But Melanie, I, I know you're a very busy woman and we really, truly appreciate the time today sharing uh, all these updates on the Orioles. We're looking forward to opening day. Do you think, how do you, uh, real quick though, before we let you truly go here, how do you think that first series is going to shape up? Um, I think opening day is going to be the biggest of that series, which sounds so cliche, but it's just, it's going to come down to the fact that it's Erod against John Means. John Means is a perennial all-star for the Orioles, and he's really looked good this spring. I'm building a theory that pitchers can also harness dad power. This is not just an offensive thing for hitters. (laughs) Um, He's got his new son, McCoy, and he has just been over the moon about everything, but he's looked so smooth and so sharp. Um, last night's outing with Dean Kramer against Eovaldi, that's a rematch from last September, but it's also potentially a rematch for game two, um, just with the way that both rotations look to be stacking up. So I I could easily see this being a a rubber match by the time it gets to game three, just because for those first two days, the pitching is going to really go toe to toe. Mm, Good stuff. We're looking forward to it and we're looking forward to seeing more success out of you. Melanie Newman of the Baltimore Orioles. Thank you so much for coming on today. Always, guys. It's a blast. All right. Ladies.